The following sermon is part of a series going through the book of Philippians, and it was preached at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. For more sermons, please visit our sermon audio page. It is our hope and prayer that this content is edifying for you. Our scripture reading this evening is from Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. The text we specially consider tonight is verses 8 and 9 of Philippians 4. Let's read the whole chapter. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Yodias and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done, that he did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, 
but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The text that we specially consider tonight is verses 8 and 9. 8 and 9 of Philippians 4. We reread those verses. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. In the preceding context, the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has given the Philippians three main exhortations. We've considered those three exhortations in the last sermons in our series. I remind you of them. In verse 4, we find the exhortation, Rejoice in the Lord Always, and again I say rejoice. The second exhortation in the context, verse 5, let your moderation be unto all men. And then third, in verses 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry, but rather pray. Those are the three main exhortations that we have heard, explained, expounded upon in the book of Philippians. Paul, having given these three main exhortations in this last part of his epistle, shows us now what leads to the obedience of these former exhortations. Think on these things, what is true, what is honorable, what is just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtue and praise. As the child of God, thinks upon these things, he has brought the joy in the Lord. As the child of God thinks upon these things, there is a life of moderation that is shown unto all men. As the child of God thinks upon these things, the God of peace gives a peace that passeth understanding so that there is no worry Finally, my brethren, Paul says at the beginning of our text, this is the last main exhortation of the epistle. Finally, my brethren, last but not least, as it is said, because this exhortation brings up the activity of thinking. And this activity of thinking has primacy 
in the life of the child of God. It is as the child of God thinks that there is an effect upon the entire life that he lives so that he not only is able to bring forth joy and moderation and enjoy peace rather than worry, but as the child of God thinks, there is an effect on all aspects of his life. The Christian must be a thinking person. The believer must use his mind, his logic, his common sense, his discernment. He must be a meditating person. Deep thinking is required. Does that describe you? Notice I didn't say a really smart person. Someone who is a thinking person. That's a description of a Christian. Throughout the whole worship service, and especially now as you approach God's Word, we we are to be thinking people with minds engaged, receptive to the Word of God, ensuring that what is preached is indeed founded upon this Word of God, thinking about how it applies to my life and to my heart, not merely soaking it all in, but grappling with the doctrines of Scripture as it is taught here in this church. And then this thinking doesn't just stop at the end of this sermon, but this thinking continues throughout our life. But we take the doctrines of Scripture that we receive on Sunday, don't we? And as a Christian, he thinks through the week about these things. Meditating on God's law day and night as the blessed man is described in Psalm 1. Thinking upon heaven and hell. Thinking upon the work of Jesus Christ. Thinking of what we discuss and seek to understand from this text tonight. As we live in this world, there are many attacks, many affronts, to the mind and the thinking of the child of God. You see, Satan knows, and the world also knows, that if they can attack the mind of the Christian, there will be an effect upon the whole person. There's a battleground in the mind. With the world, Satan works to appeal to your sinful flesh not only to bring sinful thoughts to your thinking, but also, and this is one of the main applications of our sermon tonight, but also that which distracts our minds from thinking on these things which God calls us to think upon. Instead of thinking upon the sure promises of God, there is a diversion unto the thinking of all kinds of fluff and doubts and fears. Instead of a thinking upon the law of God, He diverts our minds into thinking of all that appeals to our flesh. Instead of thinking deeply and evaluating our lives in comparison to God's Word, there is a diversion of our mind to all sorts of shallow ideas. It's important to recognize that, beloved, as we hear the Word of God tonight, to think on these things. Think upon the word amusement. Amusement today. The word amusement literally means 
non-thinking, not to think. That doesn't mean, of course, that the mind isn't engaged at all. It is. But amusement means not to think deeply on anything of much importance. And there is a temptation, a constant temptation for us, especially in this world of advancing technology, to want to have lazy minds, to think upon games, to think upon the dramatic productions of the world, to think upon social media, to think upon all sorts of unimportant and unhealthy ideas. Extremely relevant, therefore, in our day and age is this command of God's Word. Think on these, on these things. Consider verses 8 and 9 with me under the theme, thinking on these things, first the concept, second the content, and then finally the comfort. The concept of thinking, the content of that thinking, and then finally, the comfort as we think. The main idea and exhortation of a text is found in the word think of verse 8. The Spirit says, and Jesus says to us, think on these things. And before we rush into the eight different words that the Bible describes as that which we must think on, that's our temptation, gloss over the word think, let's delve deeply. Let's think upon the very idea of thinking. First, it is important to understand that thinking, which Paul refers to, is that of the soul. This thinking is that of the soul. Children, young people, when you hear the word think, you might immediately think upon what your brain does. The gray matter which God has given to you in your skull, and that is that has the ability to process facts and information. And so, in the past year of school, whether it be elementary or high school or college, your teacher has exhorted you again and again when they see your mind wander or think about something else, think with me on this. Use your brain, the teacher tells you. That's what they mean by think. And you would not be wrong to understand this text, meaning that also, that thinking means using the brain that God has given you because it involves your brain. But the verb here, think, is more than that. It includes a logical process. In fact, the word think is literally where we get the word logic from in our English language. There is a logical processing of information. But it's more than that. The word thinking of our text is not only the activity of the brain, it is that of the soul. Frequently in the book of Philippians, we have seen Paul bring up the soul as to its mind. Often, Paul exhorts us to have the same mind. The thinking faculty, not of that which is up here, but of that which is in the heart. We think not only with our brains, but intimately connected to our brains is what is called the mind, what Scripture calls the mind. We think also with our hearts. And that's the exhortation that is in this text. With the mind connected to the brain, yes, but with the mind especially, the thinking faculty of the soul, think on these things. All human beings have a soul with a mind. 
But, as we have recently considered in the Heidelberg Catechism, because of the fall, the thinking faculty of the soul called the mind of the fallen world and depraved creatures is this. Genesis 6, verse 5, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is what fallen man does. He has lost the image of God, and now with his mind, he takes that which is not true, lies, falsehood. And yes, he mixes in that which he intellectually with his brain knows is is true, But he does all of his thinking in opposition to God, to attack God. That is the totally depraved mind. He thinks in that way. He says in his heart, there is no God. And the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4 says, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. That leads us to the second aspect of thinking here. Not only is it of the soul's mind, but it's of the regenerated heart. When Paul speaks here in this text, he's not speaking to every single person. Notice brethren. Finally, my brethren, he's speaking to the regenerated believer in the church of Jesus Christ at at Philippi and the church of Jesus Christ here today. To you who have been regenerated, to you who now have received a restoration of the image of God, You are able, unlike the unbeliever, to think. For you have, 1 Corinthians 2.16, the very mind of Christ, according to the new man. Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge has joined Himself to you, and there flows from Him to you the ability to think not only with your brain, but now with your heart. With your new mind, Paul says, the very mind of Christ, think on these things. Little children, do you know, do you know that you have more true knowledge in your mind than the most intelligent professor at the greatest university on this planet? with many letters behind his name, who is yet an unbelief. I didn't say you were smarter with your brain, but you have more true knowledge in your mind as a little child because you have the very mind of Christ. And that unbeliever does not. With that mind, God says, the mind He has given you at creation not only, but through regeneration. Think. On these things. Third, this thinking of that Paul calls us to and the Spirit calls us to is not only of the soul's mind and of the regenerated mind, but third, it is an intentional activity. Paul is commanding, it's in the imperative, Paul is commanding the regenerated believer, his brethren, to think. Present tense meaning a continuing activity. The idea is that the Philippians must discipline themselves to continue thinking through their lives. It's something that we are supposed to be consciously fighting to do within us, within ourselves. 
Again and again through life, you will be distracted. Again and again through life, you will feel the laziness of your sinful nature creeping in. And laziness, children, is not merely that of not wanting to do something with your hands and your feet and the chores that your parents tell you to do. But laziness is that of the mind also. And Paul says, no, intentionally think. Think in the midst of a culture that constantly tells you not to think. Think on that which is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report. It's not something that just happens. It's intentional. Yes, we are 100% empowered to will and to do of this thinking by the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, it is an intentional activity that the Spirit works within us to adjust our thoughts, to readjust again and again, to think deeply. Stop just following what the crowd says and thinks. Stop just browsing the internet and looking up all the reviews and what everyone is saying and accepting that which is the majority idea. But think Think upon what God wants you to think think about. In this age of diversion, I feel it, and you do too. Rather be stimulated to our senses by the world which through technology fires at us information at a fast pace so that we can't really think too deeply upon all the pictures and sounds and ideas that are fired at our brains. We'd rather just go with the flow. And we're bored with deep thinking. We just want to feel entertained. I know the sense. I have a sinful nature like you. The world appeals to our lazy hearts. And less and less do we want to read books to think upon history and theology and reality, lest we want to use our thinking faculty to remember, or rather just Google it and rely on our smartphones to do the thinking for us. The church is affected by it. The church world wants to run into singing all sorts of shallow things rather than the Psalms because it requires thinking. They prefer to read devotionals and paraphrases, not that those are wrong of themselves, rather than studying a faithful, literal translation of the Word of God. Instead of discussing and thinking carefully about doctrines of God's Word, we'd rather just have the answers given to us to regurgitate and then to move on. There is definitely a trend in this world, beloved. You know it. You can feel it. You, hear, you know it as I describe it. A trend in this world and in the church world to do away with thinking. And the Word of God says to us tonight, fight against that trend. Think on these things. Help your children to do so. Intentionally discipline ourselves to think. This thinking aims at doing. This thinking aims at doing. We can't take verse 8 and separate it from verse 9. They go together. Paul says, think on these things 
And then in connection to this, he says, those things, same word, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. Paul is saying, think, aiming at doing. The word do there is literally practice. That there be a practical application of the doing. Do not let the thinking merely remain theoretical. Do not stay in your ivory towers of thinking through all these different things, including doctrines, and then remain there. But that thinking needs to and must lead unto doing. Whatsoever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtue, and praise, think and then do. Paul doesn't call for dead orthodoxy. He doesn't stress thinking so much that he says, just think. He is not encouraging a hypocrisy, a mere intellectualism in the church of Jesus Christ. That is a danger in reform circles. But he calls for concrete thinking, really wisdom, the thinking which applies to the life, a godly life. Think, Paul means, about how these things are concretely demonstrated. In my own life, he says, as an example, I'm an example. That which you've seen and heard, that which you've learned and received and seen and heard in me, do. But here's the orderly manner. Don't just go do before you do before you just go do what you feel like doing, think on these things. The young person insists very often, and parents, you tell them, you're wrong, young person. But the young person sometimes insists, I'm not affected by the music I listen to. I'm not affected. I can filter it all out, what is coming across the screen to me. I'm not affected by the crowds that I gather with, the parent rightly tells his son, his daughter, oh yes you are. But this is the reason. Because when our minds think, and they do, they think upon that which is wrong, false, ungodly, it has an effect upon our doing. If a woman thinks a lot about the fashion trends of today, she's going to start behaving like the fashion models of this world, even if she's not consciously trying to. If a man thinks and consumes his thoughts with the proud sports stars of this age, he will start swaggering around like that sports star. If the mind is focused upon Fortnite, young people, and you're going to start seeking the violence and the dances of your Fortnite character. If our mind is consumed by the Disney Channel or from Netflix, we're going to start behaving like a Hollywood star or a shallow cartoon character. What are you watching, young person? What are you reading, adults? What we consume... Yes, also on social media. All the vitriol, 
and bitterness that is out there in this world, we say, we might say, mirroring what our child might say, I'm not affected by that. I can filter it out. But it's simply not true. There is, through our mind, an effect upon our lives. And so God's Word says here in our text, think on these things. This is the content. Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtue and praise. There are eight listed. The first six are the main thoughts. The last two, virtue and praise, are a summary of those first six thoughts. I define and explain for you each of those words tonight, but I cannot be exhaustive. This is not meant to be an exhaustive explanation of every single term here. The exhortation is to think. The Word of God comes to you to help you with a beginning that God's people and families might together come back to Philippians 4, 8, and 9 and together remember what we are to think upon and delve more deeply in these things. Each of these words listed here are supposed to be thought of positively and give you the positive tonight. Contrasted with the negative, what we're seek to push out of our minds the positive the negative I give to you and then third I give to you with each of these words an example in Paul's life why do I do that because the text demands it Paul is saying not only think upon these things and then listing this the six to eight but then verse nine as it is exemplified in me so I give you an example of how Paul exhibits these things first And first, for a reason, Paul says, whatsoever things are true. True. What is true is that which is in line with reality. That which is especially consistent with God's Word. Fill your mind with that which is true, Paul says. That which is factual. That which is true doctrine. That which is in accord with reality. The world says, there is no truth. What is truth, as Pilate says? It's relative. Truth is simply what feels right. And the Word of God reveals to us, no, truth is what God says. There is absolute truth. Now think upon truth. Cling to the truth. Buy it and sell it not. Love the truth. Cherish it. Let truth guide your feelings. Think upon truth. The opposite is falsehood. Think, Paul says, not on falsehood. Not on that which might be true. That which people are saying is true, but is not proven to be so. But on the truth. Novels and fiction. Those are the kind of books that we read. And I'm not legalistically condemning fiction and novels. But when those kinds of reading consume our thinking, we're not thinking upon truth. God's Word calls us to think upon truth. Not just part of the truth, 
one part of God's Word, but the full counsel of God. All of it. All the truths of His Word. Paul exemplifies that. We've seen that in his life concretely. Paul thought upon the truth and he defended the truth. In chapter 3, he spoke against the Judaizers and their self-righteous teaching. He spoke against the perfectionists. He spoke against the antinomians in order to uphold the truth of God's Word, justification by faith alone, and also sanctification, which will result inevitably through faith in Jesus Christ. Truth so mattered to Paul, and the Philippians knew it. Truth so mattered to Paul, especially the truth of the Gospel, that when there were those who spoke out of envy and strife against Paul, but still preached the Gospel, remember? He said in chapter 1, verse 15, as long as the truth of the Gospel is preached, even if those people are my enemies, and they seek to ruin my reputation, I rejoice, yea, and will rejoice because the truth is what Paul cherished in his mind. Think on truth. Secondly, whatsoever is honest, the King James Version translates, honorable, honorable, that's the idea. That which is noble, it's translated in other translations dignified, solemn. We would say in our day and age, be serious-minded. Be serious-minded. The mind is to think on serious things. This is not the power of positive thinking like psychologists like to encourage. This is thinking upon serious things, not just positive things. And some serious things are negative things. Think upon life and death. Think upon heaven and hell as we did this morning. Upon mercy and justice. Upon God's side and Satan's side as it opposes God's side every day in your life. Upon that old man and upon that new man. Think serious-mindedly. The Christian knows how to prioritize his thinking and to focus upon what is important. The opposite is that which is frivolous. This is so important, young people and beloved people of God. The opposite of this honorable or honest thinking here is kind of thinking that's focused on telling the next joke. That is focused upon the games of life is focused upon the immaturity that is displayed in all the entertainment today. It is focused upon that which is out of the gutter, so to speak, or out of the bathroom, or of the innuendos from the latest comedy. Of course, there's a time to be playful. Of course, there's a time for certain games. But Paul is calling us to think, to focus upon serious things. Paul was such a man of such dignity or serious thinking. Think about Paul in prison. Even as he wrote this epistle, he was going to face death. Yes, he smiled. Yes, he rejoiced. He even thought about the Olympic Games, as we notice in our series. 
But he was serious minded. Christ shall be magnified, he said, either by my life or by my death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When he thought about the Olympic Games, he thought about pursuing that which was for the kingdom of Jesus Christ, for the health of the church, for the honor of God. Think on that which is honorable, true, honorable, and third, just. Whatsoever is just or righteous. Righteousness is that which is in conformity to God's law. The idea of righteousness should bring to our minds the idea of a scale. God's law demands, and there must be on the other side of the scale, that which fulfills the demand. Suffering, if that law is disobeyed, obedience in accordance to that law, to balance it, opposite of righteousness is that which is against God's law, that which thinks there's no need for the satisfaction of God's justice. Paul was a man of righteousness, especially this kind of righteousness, the kind of righteousness that was perfect righteousness, not that which Paul himself saw he accomplished. But the righteousness which Paul thought of was the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Remember, chapter 389, I count all things but dumb, that I may win Christ, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. And lean not on my own righteousness, but wholly on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul thought about. And that's what we must be thinking about. We're called to think about this righteousness, a perfect righteousness that truly satisfies God's law. It's something which God has forced us to think about in the last years of controversy. We're called to keep on thinking upon that righteousness. Never, never letting it go out of our minds. Fourth, Whatsoever is pure, true, honorable, just, and pure, pure things, that which is ethically clean, without defilement, separate from sin, and wholly dedicated to the glory, the worship of God, the only Holy One. The opposite is that which is unchaste, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, a dedication to self, a dedication to sin, to pleasure of me. Men and women, but men, you struggle, don't you, with impure thoughts? And you know you need to put out the impure thoughts. Every day you struggle with it. The calling here is not just put out the impure thoughts because you know what happens when you just put out the impure thoughts. Your mind is like a vacuum that sucks it all back in with a vengeance. Put on to replace and displace the impure thoughts 
with the pure thoughts of God's Word, with holiness, the holiness of God, the holiness of heaven that you anticipate, the purity of worship, the holy psalms which you sing. Sing those impure thoughts out of your mind. Paul was such a man of holiness. Not perfect, but he had a new man. And he was dedicated to pressing toward the mark of holiness. Looking with great anticipation to the day when he would be made perfectly pure. His vile body like unto the glorious body of Jesus Christ. The end of chapter 3 says, Whatsoever is true, honorable, just, pure, faith, lovely, lovely. What a word. Just think about that word. Lovely. That which is lovely, loves, but evokes love also. It is love which evokes love. Last week at Confession of Faith, we considered a text in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5, the love of Christ constrains us. That is, His love evokes our love back to Him. Think in that which is lovely. This is true beauty. When you say someone or something is lovely, it is that which loves to evoke love. The opposite is that which provokes that which provokes bitterness and anger rather than evoking love. Bitterness, bitterness that is all around you, beloved. Bitterness is like a fountain of poisonous water that you might think doesn't affect you. But when it's breathed in and listened to and swallowed just in teeny bits, little by little, it makes you bitter too. It provokes you onto the same bitterness to poison your heart. It provokes you to hatred and anger. Not that, beloved. Think upon that which is lovely. Paul exemplified that. Think of Paul beginning his epistle to the Philippians in chapter 1. He knows he's writing to a church with many weaknesses. And what does he say? I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He says in chapter 4, the beginning of it, before he rebukes Eudaeus and Syntyche, my brethren, my dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, oh my beloved, the compassion that he exudes even as he writes this is lovely. Sixth, of good report. Of good report is that which is commended, commendable. That which others commend, approve of, admire, but especially that which God commends. He speaks words of commendation, of good report. It is anything which God says, with that I am pleased with. The opposite of that is, is that of evil report. That which God says, I'm displeased with. That which a true church of Jesus Christ, according to God's Word, says that is ungodly. And even sometimes the world says, that's ugly. 
Of course, there are going to be things which God commends and which the world despises, and even sometimes the people of the church. That which is well spoken of by God, that is what we are to think on. Paul especially commended two men. You remember that? Two office bearers. In chapter 2, 19 and 25, Timothy and Epaphroditus. He commends them for their hard work, their sacrifice, their humility, in that way calling the church of Philippi to think upon those characteristics as shown by the office bearers in the church. Think of that. Think upon the men, beloved. Not that they are perfect, but as they show forth a godly character as Timothy and Epaphroditus did. The last two words, as I said, summarize everything that came before. Any virtue, that is, any attribute of God, any perfection, and if there be any praise, that which is praiseworthy, think on these things. But those last two words should make us think all the more deeply. This is not merely Paul telling the Philippians to think upon his example. This is Paul calling the Philippians and the church of Jesus Christ to think upon someone, someone, that far better than Paul himself showed forth these things. Who is that? Who can that be? With perfections? With that which is worthy of praise? None other than Jesus Christ. This text is especially about Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be followers of me. That's included. Even as I also am of Christ. Paul didn't just tell the, the Philippians to follow his example when he was thinking about what is true and honest and lovely and pure. But he wanted their thoughts to be led to Christ as reflected in Him. Think on these things, Paul says, who always spoke the truth, who lived the truth, none other but Jesus Christ who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the one who revealed the truth of God in all of its glory, especially when He went to the cross. In Him was found no guile. He was full of truth and grace. Who was honorable, always dignified, with a serious mind, never wasting a moment on frivolity, but always teaching with great anticipation what He had to do in His suffering and His death for us throughout His life. Jesus Christ, the one whose mind was so serious that He taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes and Pharisees. There was no lightness when He preached. The people had to listen. His serious-mindedness affected them who was just and righteous, perfectly conform in conformity to God's law. But Jesus Christ, who, who obeyed that law perfectly and then fully satisfied the justice of God as we saw this morning for all of our unrighteousnesses, 
Truly, that centurion said this was a righteous man who justified us with his righteousness, who is pure, holy without sin, not an inkling of impurity within his soul or in his life, though he was tempted in all points like as we are, with the greatest of temptations by Satan himself, yet he never sinned once. That's Jesus Christ, who is lovely, beautiful, one whose love constrains us, who is the husband of his church and embraces us and causes us, though we have it not in ourselves, to love him back. He is the one who evokes love within the only, truly, perfectly lovely one. But with his love, even in his death, said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Who is of good report, in favor with God and men, about whom God said publicly, with great commendation, This is my begotten Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him, Jesus Christ, full of virtue, all the perfections of God, because He was God, and worthy of praise, as heaven right now exclaims, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive honor and riches and power and wisdom and strength and glory and blessing. Think on these things as they are revealed by Jesus Christ. That especially. Don't stop. Don't stop. And that's the same thing as saying, believe. Because believing is a true knowledge. The activity of the mind that thinks upon Jesus Christ and leans holy upon Him. And you see, it is only as that faith thinks upon Him that there will be a doing. Let Jesus Christ be the content of our thinking, our deep thinking. With that calling comes comfort. The promise in the text is the God of peace shall be with you. God of peace is Jehovah God, the triune God, who is the source of our peace. Remember two verses earlier, Paul uses the same words that he uses here in our text, speaking of the peace of God, which passeth understanding. Peace is from God. In that text, verse 7, the emphasis is on the peace, that which God gives. But here in our text, rather than the emphasis on the gift, the emphasis is now on the giver of peace, the God of peace. Because this is how He gives peace, beloved. This God of peace doesn't just send peace from on high while He remains above. But this God of peace comes to be with us. And even as He dwells with us and in us, He gives us peace. That's how great and merciful our God is having established peace through Jesus Christ between Himself and us, He unites Himself to us and comes to dwell with us, making His abode with us. 
and personally gives us to enjoy peace. When the text says the God of peace shall be with you, that future tense does not mean, as we might think it to mean, that the God of peace was not with the Philippians, but that only in the future would He be with them. This text is not saying the God of peace is not with you, Philippians, but only if you think upon these things, then this God of peace will be with you. That's not the teaching of this text. That would be conditional. No, rather, here's the beautiful comfort to us with weak minds. The God of peace dwells with us now and in the future. He will never leave us or forsake us. That's the idea. He will be with you. Hebrews 13, verse 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And this God of peace gives to us the thinking ability, both the power and the will to ponder upon whatsoever is true, whatsoever is honorable, whatsoever is right, righteous, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is of good report. He gives us to ponder Jesus Christ as He reveals all this. And He keeps us in perfect peace. Isaiah 26, verse 3. Whose mind, by His power, is stayed on Thee. I will be with Thee. God says, I will work in you to think. And that doesn't take away from the command. Rather, than the, rather the command with the comfort comes together to us with great power. But we know we rely not on our own strength, but on Him. Think on these things. Amen. O God of peace, as the world and Satan and our sinful nature, our threefold enemy, seeks to destroy us by drawing our minds away from Thee, to think upon that which is false and frivolous and proud and unethical and ugly and hateful and hated by Thee. We feel the weakness of our flesh, the weakness of our minds by nature. So easy, we confess, it is for our minds to be swept along with the amusement and the shallow thinking of this world. And so we pray, forgive with the righteous one, one full of virtue, one full of purity and honor, loveliness. Impute that which is His unto us. We trust that Thou dost do that through faith. And strengthen our minds. Make us more disciplined. Put aside, O oh God, that which is not conducive to deep thought. Give unto us by Thy Spirit a deep thinking upon Jesus. And then also a doing. So that we are conformed inwardly and outwardly 
into the image of our Savior, to the glory of His name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.